Unbillable Hour Community Table, where real lawyers from all around the country with real issues they are dealing with right now meet together virtually to present their questions to Christopher T. Anderson, lawyer and law firm management consultant. New questions every episode, and none of it scripted. The real conversations happen here. Today's segments feature guest hosts Eric and Elliot Alisea, the co-founders of Empirical 360 Legal Marketing. Alongside Christopher Anderson, they will be helping provide expertise and insight into the marketing questions our participants have today. The first segment tackles the question of how to condense the sales cycle. Okay, so welcome, everybody. Have a couple of special guests because they were on the podcast, and so they've uh, agreed to be here to answer any marketing questions, or quite honestly, they can pipe in on anything. Um, but so I'll be deferring to them, and then I'll be explaining why I think they're completely wrong. But uh, Eric and Elliot are here from Empirical 360. Empirical 360 helps law firms with attracting new clients Full disclosure, they work with me. They've been on the show, and I, I, I enjoy working with them, and I think they, they get great results. So with all that preamble, um, I'll just remind we do this every third Thursday of the month at 3 p.m., and you're always welcome to join. So welcome to the Unbillable Hour community table. Thank you. My question today, well, I actually have two, but let's start with the most important one, which is how do I condense my sales cycle because a lot of people are saying yes, but I'm not getting the retainers. So people are saying yes, you're sending retainer agreement, and then the retainer agreements are not coming back. Right. And I also feel like the process is very long. It's a long process. Okay. So I have I have a certain thought about that, but I'd uh, you know, like to ask our guests to speak to that issue. So getting a yes on the phone, then sending the retainer, and then they're either ghosted or the retainer doesn't come back for either a long time or at all. What are your thoughts? One thing that I can think of, and then Ellie, you can take over because you deal with this more than probably I do, is at the time when you get them to agree to sign the retainer, I would probably schedule or like, you know, even if they say, hey, you know what, I'm going to think about it and I'll let you know, send over the retainer, send over the invoice, I would schedule a meeting to go over their decision. So, like, you know, we get that a lot where attorneys will agree to work with us. We say, just to make sure we touch base again, we can get a yes or no from you. Can we put another meeting on the calendar, even if it's for tomorrow or later in the day? And that way you have a guaranteed date where you hopefully get to the next step with them. And then Elliot, you can give any other suggestions from there. Yeah. Yeah. To Eric's point, it gives you at least a yes or no, keep following up or kill the lead if they no show you. But um, when you do it, are you on the phone with them or is it a Zoom? Zoom. So like it's at least face-to-face and they've already, do they already know the price at which you're on that Zoom? Prior to the Zoom, do they know the price or on the Zoom, they discover the price? On the Zoom, they discover the price. Okay. Um, You know, so like I'm not a hardcore pushy salesperson, but what others have done to me and they've closed me for large ticket items is they'll ask me for a credit card on the spot. So they'll like go for the money pretty quickly. And they generally don't say like, do you want to pay? They say, so like, what card are you putting this on? Is it going to be a Visa or MasterCard? That's like the old salesman trick, which I personally don't like. It feels, it feels dirty to me, but uh, you know, some people do it. The other thing that was done to me recently on a high ticket program, they said, look, you know, I know you probably don't want to commit to the full amount right now, but I don't want you to walk away without getting the ball rolling. Can you put a deposit down? And that actually closed me. So like, I've seen that work pretty well is at least get some sort of commitment from them so we can lock in your spot. Cause especially you, you're kind of like at capacity, like, look, other, other people are coming in, you build a little bit of scarcity. 
I want to make sure that we can save your spot on my calendar. So your caseload is fit into my schedule. Can we put a deposit down before you pay the full amount? That's not a bad way to at least get a little bit of commitment. And that way you kind of know they're serious. If they can't deposit anything, maybe they're not going to put anything down. So that's been done to me. I've seen that work in other industries, but just a couple thoughts there. So uh, Elliot stole my thunder. Uh, that is exactly what I was going to suggest is, is get, if you're going to be sending retainers out after, after you've got a yes, get a money with a yes. And that is actually a change that we're implementing right now as well. It's very, very effective. We take the money with the yes. If the retainer agreement doesn't come back after a certain amount of time, we send the money back. But people will follow their own money. And it, it, it just is a much deeper commitment than the yes. And they're going to want to start getting value for that money more quickly, which means they're more likely to engage faster. So I was with some colleagues, very well-respected, beautiful colleagues. And the discussion kind of went into... If if my non-attorney salesperson is on the phone, leaving some time, if the if she, if she gets a yes, if I get a let yes, saying okay, let me take your credit card now, process it now, because sometimes they fail, mm-hmm. and then hand them over to somebody else who's dedicated to walk through the retainer agreement with them. Like we can send it on the spot; it's all digital. Walk through the highlights of it so that they understand what the hell they're signing. Cause that doesn't happen. I mean, they're like, what do you mean you're taking replenishments? Like we get angry. Let I'm like, did you read your retainer? They're like, no. I'm like, well, <laughs> um, so really like walk through it with them, but that's going to mean really condensing the sales conversation down to about 45 minutes, maybe even less to allow mm-hmm. enough time. Cause I don't want someone to, a two hour. Nobody's got that kind of time. Right. So now the non-attorney salesperson's got to hit those needs really quickly to allow time to do the the back end if they say yes. And I guess I'm just struggling with like how that's all going to play out. And is it smooth? Is it choppy? Right. So or, or one of the things you might consider is rather than having that extra time to go through the fee agreement, which might feel, I don't know, that, that might not be a great thing to be doing after you got the yes is to then go into the details at that very, very moment. One thing that you might consider is when you send the fee agreement to also to send a video from you walking through the fee agreement, the highlights of the fee agreement. Say, you know, hey, you know, you really should read the whole thing, but here are the things that most clients really want to know. Here's how the retainer works. Here's how replenishment works. Here's how whatever else you think is important works. That I think can be a big game changer for you. Do you agree, though, even if we can send the retainer, but we should take the credit card and process it on the spot and then send the retainer? Yep. Okay. Yep. And of course, you know, in, depending on your depending on your jurisdiction, you might need to put that initial credit card into trust until they sign the retainer. Yeah, I do it. But, I do that uh, anyway. Good. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. You're taking you're taking retainer altogether. So that makes sense. And we we still also we don't let them off the line until we, I have a tentative um, meet and greet kickoff call scheduled with them on the spot. And I slide it in tentatively into the calendar. Totally makes sense. And then of course, one thing which you might already be doing, so it may not be the best advice, but when they are pending engagement, continuing to follow up on those as if they're new leads, like with phone calls and text message, because honestly, those are probably more important to work than new leads because they're your price are already committed. So just a call and a text message, especially again, most people call 
But the text message, I think, would be one of the key things because those get noticed much more than emails and just could be just, you know, the better touch point. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Our second segment covers how much instruction is appropriate to give a third-party recruiter. How appropriate is it for me to ask somebody who's recruiting talent for me to respond in a certain way should they get negative feedback about me or the firm? I have a very particular way I'd like them to handle it. Is it is that out of line? Is that not their role? Can I, is it okay if I ask them to, hey, you hear this, here's how I would respond to it. I mean, so like how I would handle that and like even like general like things where people give me like smart answers or insulting things is I just let the personality kind of come through a little bit more. So if like if I fire back and they like that, then it's probably somebody I want to work with. Right. And so like I personally would, as long as it's not like public and your potential clients are going to see it, I might say something like like I would combat it and hit it head on. I think like how you would probably hit it and they might actually like the fact that you like batted it right back. That's personally how I would probably handle it. If it's like a smart allergy response, that's, I think that's more of like a personality though question. Like as long as potential clients aren't seeing it and it can't be damaging to you, then that's fine. But if it could be potentially damaging, we generally will just take the high road on everything that comes our way like that. Meaning like, we'll just lay over for it. No, but it's more of like, I feel like the recruiter, like let's say the recruiter is talking to a potential candidate and the potential candidate says something like, no, I've heard bad things about that firm. You know, people say things, right? It doesn't matter whether it's true or not true, but that that's, someone said something. Sorry, let me, let me put some color on it because I think it helps. So I, what I think I'm hearing is this basically like, hi, um, I'm Chris, Chris the recruiter. And uh, I, I was wondering if you might be interested in a position that's available. And Ella says, well, yeah, maybe, you know, I'm not really happy with uh, my current boss sucks. So I'm not, you know, I'm not really happy. So I'd be willing to entertain it. But before we go any further, I need to know who you're recruiting for. And they would say, oh, I'm recruiting for Eric and Elliot. And then Ella goes, oh, I would not work for those guys. That's, is that kind of, and then what Carrie wants is a follow-up question to be like, oh, really? Or depending on what the candidate says, a different kind of, I feel like the, the recruiter may just be kind of a deer caught in headlights. And I want to give them the, not only permission, but the way to, to respond. Because in my brain, if they can respond, like if someone says, I'd never work for that firm because, you know, 
she has too many policies and procedures. Or she, she eats small children. Or she eats small children, whatever, whatever it is. It would help the recruiter having a very particular response would not only help the recruiter because maybe it changes the mindset of that candidate. Not that I would hire that candidate anyway, but it also then starts to permeate. So it ultimately helps the recruiter. It ultimately helps me and whatever, you know, ridiculous optics are out there for one reason or the other. Yeah. So, but I, I guess my, the question is, is it my, Chris, maybe you can, is it my place to say to the recruiter, if you get that again, Here's how I would respond. I would like you to respond in this fashion. Okay. So I, I, I wanted to give Eric and Elliot a shot at, at this. So my answer is, um, yeah, I would give them the script to say, listen, I think and in the context of this recruiter, obviously, you know, that this um, is a, presents a challenge in the, our recruiting and your, our goals are still the same. We want to recruit this many people over this much time and want to continue doing that. And if they're, you know, if this is out there in the marketplace, that's going to hinder you and your ability to make money. And of course, it's not good for me. Um, so for both of us, um, I'd really like to drill down on that so we can find out what's going on. And then once we find out what's going on, we may also talk about some methods to mitigate or to put some affirmative information out there. But you know, the first step is going to be to really understand what the issue is. So I would like you, when if you get a question like that, or if you get a feedback like that, to ask these three questions or to follow this script. Absolutely appropriate. But I would I would con- put it in that context of why it's important. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we have this philosophy for like all vendor relationships. For any vendor call service specifically, because we get that question a lot, like the call service is messing this up. What can we do about that? I think a call service any vendor should be managed just like an employee. So giving them feedback is great. And I would ask them like, what are the specific objections? So you can just have rebuttals ready for those objections. So like, if they're saying that like, oh, we heard that she works us too hard. Well, we did like, you know, just have an objection in place for, and have a rebuttal in place for that. So figure out what they are, record the calls if possible, working just like leads pretty much, record the calls, get the feedback and figure out what we can do about the bad leads is the way I've managed that. Yeah. Without the details, it just sounds like an excuse from the re- recruiter or whoever, whatever vendor, as to why they're not performing the way they need to perform. Yeah. And I think like each one of the things, you don't want to argue with the candidates, right? You don't want to say, oh, I don't know who you heard that from. That's nonsense. Most of the good responses are going to be leaning into it, going like, oh, yeah, you know, it is true. That it, uh, there are a lot of policies and procedures because we, we find that uh, you know our clients really like the consistency of service. And the lawyers that work here and are happy really like working within that system. You know, and and so we understand that some people, you know, probably people who didn't work out might be saying stuff like that, but it actually is a positive, not a negative. I'm making it up. It, yeah, it's yeah. a PR spin. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the alternative, you know, if she eats small children, you go like, well, yeah, that's how you make gingerbread houses. But, you know, whatever, um, whatever works out. Who doesn't? Almost, yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> you don't? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm. And that's growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm. With six different ways to track time, surely one will fit, even on the go. 
or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, all just plug in. Try TimeSolve free. Get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up. TimeSolve.com. For our last segment, a lawyer wants to know the best way to market their niche practice. So my question is this, I have felt for some time that I have advice that would be helpful to people that I want to share with the world, but I don't want to do it just for an intellectual exercise. I want to do it for marketing purposes. So I would love to hear some suggestions about, so we have two basic channels, direct to consumer and lawyer referrals. So for the lawyer referral, I had thought about writing something that would be more textbook oriented, which would be, you know, the complete text guide to Texas medical malpractice or something like that, which would, for people that don't know us already, would establish us as the Texas medical malpractice experts. For consumers, I didn't know if it would be a good lead magnet to have a series of brochures kind of written, like, you know, what do you need to know to keep your loved ones safe in the hospital? How do you know how to hire a medical malpractice attorney? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just out of touch in terms of whether these kinds of whatever you call them, lead magnets or whatever, if those are still considered good marketing tactics? And if so, where would I even start? That is a great question. Uh, which one of you guys want to tackle that? So can I ask? Uh, can I ask a couple of questions? So, is sure. this to attract more attorneys to refer you business, and also attract consumers? So you want to hit both yeah. channels, correct? And so, on on the like, do you specialize in a particular subset of that practice area, or like, do you find any of the subsets hit for you harder? Well, birth injuries and things that are catastrophic in nature. There's a lot of people that are victims of medical errors, but they're temporary and they didn't destroy your life. And we can't take those cases for economic reasons. So they're yeah. really, really catastrophic life altering situations. Yeah. Yeah. So unlike the D to C side, right, that's a little bit more straightforward just because there are going to be people in your audience. And what I would recommend on that side, especially because I actually had an experience with this, it didn't actually pan out like to where I needed to hire a lawyer, but my son was in the NICU for three months and his nose started to erode a little bit. And so like that was becoming an issue, right? Like uh, perhaps it could be something, but if you talk to a very specific audience on those lead magnets, so it just can't be medical malpractice, right? It has to be something like your baby in the NICU, did this happen to their nose because they use prongs instead of whatever, right? It has to be really specific to mm -hmm. catch that person's attention. And immediately, if you're that specific, it's going to establish you as like a category of one expert because nobody else is going to be that specific. So that's one way to go about a lead magnet. And then it would be the same thing for attorneys, right? How specific or how could you demonstrate really niche level knowledge to where they're like, wow, she's clearly got this squared away. I need to go to her. So when, whenever we've done like lead magnets for ourselves, whenever we display really niche specific knowledge or like we can display that we really know what we're talking about, 
it's a whole lot better than just like medical malpractice in Texas, right? Like how does the personal injury firm who's only done car accidents get into birth injuries specifically, or even more specific than that? So I find that the more specific you can be with that type of marketing, the like the, the results are going to be 10 times better than just broad, like medical malpractice, right? It has to be really drilled down. And that is a lot more work, right? Because then you got to do like birth injuries in the NICU. And then you have to do like, what happened when you got a C-section and you were whatever, like you have to really talk to somebody specifically, but it's immediately going to build trust in like half a second because you spoke to a very specific person. So I don't know if that answered it all the way, but like, that's a good starting ground. No, it's incredibly helpful. And just a quick follow-up question is the print medium and making, I mean, not just making it filled with search terms, but incorporating some SEO and all of that to promote it. Is that the way to go? Or is it a podcast? It would depend on where your people are. So like, it, to go back to the NICU example, because like I lived that for three months, right? If yeah. print, if I had flyers, and they're probably not going to keep flyers in there to get sued, right? The NICU is not going to, but like if you had a bunch of NICU moms hanging out in a spot or like on a Facebook group, you want to kind of go where your audience is. And so you have to probably figure out where they're hanging out and then you can hit those areas. And that might be Facebook, which in which case it would be digital. It might be print. If it was like a nursing home, for instance, like the family's all hanging out in the nursing home or they're frequenting areas around that that you could technically geofence. So you would have to figure out where they're at and then that would kind of determine your medium. But the lead magnet could be the same essentially in all those different mediums. It would just be distribution of the lead magnet or of the topic or to establish yourself as that person. Like for lawyers, right? An easy thing would be like hit the how to manage Facebook group and they're all in there, right? You have your target audience all in there and you talk to a very specific subset of that audience. It's going to catch their attention. The rest of them, like family lawyers are just going to breeze right by it because they don't care about medical malpractice, but the people that you are hitting, if it's a really dialed in message, is going to attract those people and pull them out of that broader audience. Yeah. So it just depends on where they're hanging out. Yeah. But when you speak specifically, even if you ran Facebook ads to the entire United States and you said NICU moms, big bold text, all the NICU moms are going to get their attention called onto that. So calling out your audience helps, even if it's in a broad pool of people. Also, the nice thing about digital advertising versus print as a starting point is you can test a lot of things really quick and kill them really quick, whereas going through the process of creating the print, creating the creative can take a little while. So you can throw out like, let's say five to 10 lead magnets on Facebook, because that's a good testing ground, promote those, whichever one's kind of your unicorn ad and takes off. That's the one that you double down on, use that for print, you syndicate that on your blog, YouTube, all those different places. So again, it's probably not going to be you create one lead magnet, that first lead magnet hits, it'll probably be testing. And at least with digital, you can test much faster than you can with print and with also more confidence just because of the tracking that you have. Yeah, that's a great point to double down on that point. You know, it's called like just in time marketing. So to force yourself to do it, you schedule a live webinar and now you got to show up for that webinar. And you got to have something to talk about. And the webinar, if you did a live webinar on, I'll just go back to the NICU example, right? And that thing knocks it out of the park. Well, now you have your exact framework of how you're going to branch it out into a bunch of different things. Like, for example, what we did a while back is we were really into probate advertising and I did a, a webinar on it and that webinar hit really hard. So I created an ad, then I created a book, then I created a whole bunch of things around just one topic that I found hit on one specific avatar. And so it helped us really dial in that messaging. And like Eric said, digital is nice because you can create 10 ads in five minutes 
And whatever gets the most click to rate is going to give you that feedback immediately versus like a TV commercial could take three weeks to put, you know, put into practice. So fabulous. And you just promote the live webinar on social. Yeah. So like you could just run like a Facebook ad or, you know, wherever your audience is again, you want it like, so if, if it's B2B like attorneys, Facebook is great. Cause you can go into Facebook and say, Hey, job description attorneys. And then you run the ad to attorneys, see who responds. So yeah, definitely. Another good testing round for the B2B side is a Facebook group. So if you create a Facebook group for medical, medical malpractice attorneys, you author that group, you encourage people to post in there. I think that'll be good because then you can constantly post in there and see which of your ideas are being well-received. Like if you make a post about, you know, adding it on for like money or adding it on as like a compliment or whatever you do in there, you can at least get feedback really quick because Facebook is very heavily geared towards groups right now. Whenever you post in a group, almost everybody sees it. And like my timeline is now filled with group content. So just getting on board with that, I think would be a good way. Again, just to test, you can build that group, nurture it, see what the interest is, see who's joining. And, you know, it's pretty, again, pretty minimal amount of spend to actually promote a Facebook group. But we wouldn't want other MedMal lawyers joining because then they'd be competing for the same people. Uh, would it would be for victims of, of victims? No. Yeah, you can have a victims group and then your B2B one where you want to track like the attorney referrals. So you can have two separate groups for your different priorities. Yeah, you know, I was thinking I want to do a uh, for general, like general personal injury lawyers that think I, I can do a med mal case. How hard can it be? The one I want to do for them is how to. So you think you can handle a med mal case? Fine. Come here and I'll tell you how you can do that without losing your law license. And then I'll lead them to the ultimate answer, which is. Hell no, I can't do this without risking my law license. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, that's I think that's that's a great way to go. The I noticed uh, Eric and Elliot when you were kind of going through some of the places to be and you were talking about B2B, you did not suggest LinkedIn. So I wanted to just kind of put that out there why you didn't and uh, or whether you just forgot anything. It's a really great idea. So for ads on LinkedIn uh, or if you have a really strong personal network, then if you have a strong personal network, great. Generally, though, like on ads on LinkedIn, the messaging is not as it, it doesn't move over from Facebook to LinkedIn as well. So like I've had ads on Facebook that have done amazing. I take them over to LinkedIn, exact same ad, creative attorney audience, and it doesn't do as well. I think a lot of um, attorney pages on LinkedIn are managed by like staff or companies. And so I don't know how active they actually are there unless, again, you have a strong personal network. And LinkedIn, I kind of view as like it's like when you go to a trade show and it's like salesman against salesman, it's like, just by me, no, by me. So like, if you're a marketer and they kind of smell marketing, I don't think LinkedIn is as good. Your benefit though, is you're an actual attorney. And so now you guys are, you know, it's a little more like a common ground. Whereas for us, when we enter LinkedIn, it's like, there's another marketing company, right? So it's a little bit different, but I would say it's something you could try. I think uh, Facebook's ad platform is superior. They just have more insight on people and they optimize quicker. I think their algorithm is better. So for feedback, I like Facebook. If you dial in a message there, then you could perhaps take that to LinkedIn to see how it does. Got it. And if it falls on, and LinkedIn click cost is a lot higher than Facebook as well. So it's it's almost like competitive to like Google's click cost on an interruption-based medium. So it's not as easy to test on or as cost-effective. Thank you for listening. This has been the Unbillable Hour Community Table on the Legal Talk Network.
Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.